was bought in 1928, there were 800 items in the supermarket. 800. There are now, what, 60,000, 50,000? Yeah. God didn't make that many new foods in the interim, you know? <laughs> and it, it, it feels to people like now they have far more choices. Oh, I know. I know. The but I actually think that they have less choices. They do have less choices. I mean, think of the things you really... Well, now there's a bit more. You used to not be able to get a decent whole loaf of whole wheat bread. But you still can't get a decent loaf. You can get a loaf of whole wheat bread, but not a really good loaf for most places. Welcome to The Real Organic Podcast. I'm Lindley Dixon, co-director of The Real Organic Project. We're a grassroots, farmer-led movement with an add-on organic food label to distinguish organic crops grown in healthy soils and organic livestock raised on well-managed pasture. You just heard from Joan Gussow, who was called the matriarch of the Eat Locally, Think Globally food movement by the New York Times back in 2010. She's a nutrition icon, influencing authors such as Michael Pollan and Barbara Kingsolver, a prolific author in her own right, and a just-retired professor of her famous Teacher's College course, Nutritional Ecology. Let's hear from Joan. So welcome to the Real Organic Podcast, and welcome to Joan Gussow. Uh, Joan, I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm so happy to have you here. It's nice to see you sitting in my house. That's great. It's great. Our, our first our first interview was completely virtual. So yeah, here I am looking out at the Hudson. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, the Hudson is really gorgeous. Yeah. It's a great privilege to live right it's a great privilege to wake up and look out over a body of water. You know, it's like, it's very freeing. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I would like to have a conversation with you today about um, nutrition and organic. And, you know, I've, I see this debate going on. It's been going on for a long time which is, is organic about good food, or is it just about a list of improved uh, inputs and prohibited inputs? And um, do we care what we, what we grow? <laughs> Can there be an organic Pepsi, right? Can there be an organic Twinkie? Yeah. And you have, uh, uh, delved into this in, in your career quite a bit. You even wrote an article about the organic Twinkie. So, so tell me, do you think that there can be an organic Twinkie? Uh, fundamentally, no. Uh, because um, it's not, it's not, Twinkie is not a nutritious food. And I think the, an intrinsic idea of organic has to do with nutrition. I do. I do think, and but I, and I think there are two absolutely new things that we now know that we didn't know when it started, which is the, about the microbiome of the soil and how important it is, and how it changes the nutritional value of the food depending on what's going on in the soil. So that if you don't have the right things going on in the soil, the food isn't going to be as nutritious. And we now know that that's true. Um, and the and the other thing, what was I going to say? I had two in mind. I've I've lost the second one. Oh, I know. It's that all the c comparisons that have been made. I I once tried to do a talk for the uh, Echo Farm conference on whether organic was more nutritious, and I knew that I would be stomped out of the room for saying the wrong thing. I mean, the Echo Farm conference is so wonderfully uh, farm-laden, farmer-laden that, you know, that if I got up there and said there's no difference, they'd be furious with me. So I really, really did a lot of research. I can't read. I don't read any other language, so I couldn't do the things in, but I could look at translations. and I could find absolutely no convincing evidence from the studies that have been done that organic was any more nutritious, that there was no, there were no, there were at that time 
no convincing studies. I mean, either, <clears throat> either the, the organic um, sta standard comparison was unfair because they had taken a piece of ground and on one side put nitrogen fertilizer, on the other side put uh, compost and look to see the difference. Well, they didn't, that, that wasn't organic. I mean, that was just the beginning of making the thing organic. It had to go on more than one year. So there would be those kinds of things. And then you compare the product, product so there wouldn't be any difference. Or they would do it in different parts of the country where the natural soil was different so that if they found more minerals, it could be just that that particular soil was more mineralized and or had more of certain minerals. Anyway, it was I, I never I never could find anything because the comparisons were always nutrients. That is, this had more vitamin C, that had more vitamin A, that that had more zinc, whatever. And of course, that's the fundamental place where nutrition got trapped in its history because nutrition began after, as a profession after we discovered vitamins and we discovered that there were these single items in the, in the whole complex in food that would prevent scurvy or would, you know, there were these specific vitamin deficiency diseases. And that was how we came to define nutritious. A food was nutritious in the end if it had these substances in it. And as we got more and more of them, it became more and more the case that you didn't imagine that the food itself had some sums, <laughs> some various things in it that we hadn't identified. I mean, there are thousands of chemicals in foods. We've identified these ones associated with specific diseases and the idea that there was anything more than that somehow got lost in all the enthusiasm for vitamins. And we never had a way. I can remember when I was on the Food Nutrition Board and I was on a committee that was looking at how we, we had just looked at, we had, I guess it was, it was the Diet Cancer Committee, maybe it was the Diet and Cancer Committee that I was on, and that we had a, looking at what we should recommend, a committee looking at what we should recommend educationally. And I can remember somebody saying, well, we should definitely uh, encourage the food industry to put out foods that have more of the nutrients that we know are whatever. And I said, oh my God, <laughs> we don't need to do that. They're already putting out all these foods. And a person that I really admired, I'm not going to name him, but he was a very well-known professor at Harvard, said, I said, that's what's killing us. And he said, well, we can't prove that. And I thought, oh my God, he's not on my side. There isn't anybody in this room who's on my side who doesn't think that just putting out more foods. Well, now we just have- adding the chemical, yeah. adding the vitamin to yeah. the food. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Put out foods that had those vitamins in it, and you know they'll be doing it by adding, and they're not going to start with a tomato and, you know. So we now have a new, a new conception. And of course, in this country, the amount of actual research being devoted to showing that the reality of it. <clears throat> we have a very powerful food industry and what gets researched is very much decided, but we've discovered the idea of ultra-processed foods, which comes, which comes from Europe. I mean, we didn't make it up. It, co it comes from another country. And he has defined what an ultra-processed food is and has a list of them. And and um, they have there has actually been more. I know I I don't keep up with this. I'm too old to keep up with all this stuff, so I haven't kept up with it. There may have been more studies, but there was at least one really good study, a case control study, where they fed one group of people a diet of that didn't have ultra processed foods in it, and they fed the uh, the other group a diet that had. 60%, which is what our, what we, as, 
we Americans eat 60% ultra-processed foods. That's how much of our diet is made up of this crap. And ultra-processed foods fundamentally are foods that are made from ingredients, but they're not they're not made from foods. It's not like a processed food could be a canned tomato or a frozen carrot or something. But an ultra-processed food is basically made up of a lot of different ingredients. It may have some food in it, but not much. It's all that stuff that you see in the grocery ca- counters, you know, it's that it's all that all that stuff you can all buy. All the boxes. All of, those boxes of stuff. Of crunchy, crunchy treats. Anyway. Yeah. They they fed they fed they and they had a crossover thing. So for two weeks they'd be on this non ultra processed diet, and the other group would be on the ultra processed, and then they'd reverse. And they and they looked at what happened. And the people each time the people on the ultra processed diet ate more at each meal, gained weight in two weeks. In two weeks they gained weight, and they ate faster, and they ate more. And it's just absolutely deadly information for the food industry. Can, you know? can, can I jump in? That's so interesting. Yeah. I, I just heard that from 1900 to 1950, there was a reduction in our activity in this country. People were less active physically as we drove instead of walked and all of that. And there was also a reduction in the amount of calories that we took in. And then from 1950 on, there was a further reduction in our physical activity, but our calorie intake started to go up. I have not heard that. Yeah. I thought that was fascinating. That's fascinating. No, I did not. I did not hear that. Yeah. But it's very clear that we have been seduced into these very, very attractive foods. Some people are attractive, not to me, but that... And children are bombarded. They used to be ads. They don't do ads on television anymore because it's been prohibited. Uh, but they, but they're all on social media. And you know, any kid who's got a little his father's phone or his mother's phone when before he's four, and then when he's four, he has his own phone, right? Yeah. They're they're being bombarded with ads for these things, and and things like on TikTok, I guess somebody said that you have. Things where parents are sh- parents are with their child and he's unwrapping things and eating them or talking about them. I mean, yeah, and they're very popular. I I mean I don't get it. I don't get what people spend their time doing watching people unwrap packages, but that's me. But anyway, so so what I'm saying is, so we now have evidence that there is something more in food than nutrients that is important. That's very important. That is the difference between life and death, really, you know. The people who, the, the ultra-processing means something more than the components of the food. There's something going on in the combinations. We don't know what it is. And of course, what we're doing now in this country is we're going to spend our time trying to figure out what it is in the process of the ultra-processing that is causing the problem. Now, we're not going to, we're not just going to say, look, folks, let's work on it. Let's begin pushing back against the food industry. Let's begin saying, okay, no more new food products unless you can show it, demonstrate that they're healthy or something. We have to do something. I mean, we've allowed the food industry to, to, to create a food supply that is intrinsically unhealthy. Yeah. And, and so, the, so, so the whole thing about organic is that when you compare organic, I, I actually remembered where I started, Dave, when you compare organic to other foods by measuring the nutrients, you're not getting at the point. You're missing the point. That's not what we're saying. So the, pro- the pro- proving that organic is more nutritious, it, it, I mean, it's, it has more to do with, you know, the book we ju- that just came out, recently came out, called What Your Food Ate. We know now from some really, really interesting research that, that cattle can be, my, my favorite recent fact of all, of all this year is the fact that a cow, a beef, an animal, can be raised, can get as many calories, as much nutrition from one acre 
of well-managed pasture as they can from an acre of corn. That is a totally stunning fact environmentally, nutritionally, in every way, because that acre of corn took a huge amount of energy to plant. The, you had this hybrid corn development, then you have you have you plow it and then you plant it and then you uh, fertilize it and you harvest it and then you send it west to feedlot. All that is producing CO two and using energy, and that field is doing none of that. So. Have you got a Have you got a guess about why it is that we're growing so much corn instead? Of, of course, it's subsidized. Of, yeah, it's subsidized. It's what by I mean. Us. The government. There are years. I mean, when I was teaching every year, and we would collect every. There are years when the farmers make not a cent from selling their corn, and they all the payments they get are government payments. So the, the and 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 Frankie Lapay's book years and years ago, Diet for a Small Planet was about how they had to figure out what to do with all that extra corn, and that's how they started feeding cattle in feedlots, because it was one of the ways they could use all that corn and concentrate the feeding and, you know, efficiency, make it more efficient, as they say. Yeah. It's a great word we love to use. Efficiency, yeah. Efficiency towards what? Um... Well, what it, what it tends to always mean when you, when you say that something's more efficient, is it uses less labor. Yeah. So it's a way of putting people out of work. Yeah. Right. So you're describing a, 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 an insane food system in which we're paying people to do the wrong thing. We, the taxpayers, are paying people to yeah. do the wrong and, thing. And very concentrated power. I mean... What two, three, or four seed and fertilizer companies? Four and four to six processors, huge, huge processing food manufacturers, as they're called. They don't manufacture food; they just alter it. But um, and 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 they swing so much weight. It's it's uh, it's really <clears throat> it's really very depressing. Because people ask me if I think things have improved in the 50 years. I mean, 50 years ago, I, I wrote a thing in my, The Feeding Web, which came out in 1978. I had a whole chapter about the food supply and this absurd, absurd food supply with all these products in it that people shouldn't be eating. Because it was a shock to me. I, I was born in 1928. There were 800 items in the supermarket. 800. They are now, what, 60,000, 50,000? Yeah. God didn't make that many new foods in the interim, you know? <laughs> and it, it, it feels to people like now they have far more choices. Oh, I know. I know the choice. But I actually think that they have less choices. They do have less choices. I mean, think of the things you really... Well, now there's a bit more... You used to not be able to get a decent whole, loaf of whole wheat bread. Well, you still can't get a decent loaf. You can get a loaf of whole wheat bread, but not a really good loaf for most places. There were lots of things you really had trouble getting because they weren't, there weren't, there was no reason to sell them. People weren't buying them. Yeah. But now um, you, you just about can't get a pint of blueberries like, like, Q Kent's and Lisa Kent's blueberries. Not you can't get not 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 that aren't aren't grown in on water. That's right? right. It's getting pretty hard to get a tomato that was grown in the soil. It's getting very hard to get uh, an organic egg that wasn't grown in, I know, in a confinement. I know, and capo. they're so they're so much more expensive. And that's because of course we wouldn't subsidize anything like that, right? I mean we could subsidize Chicken growing, we could subsidize, we could be subsidizing all kinds of things if the price had to be too high, which is, a, I, don't, I guess that's the, the basis for the subsidies. It isn't, but I mean, that would, they would argue that, that they're keeping the price down. And of course, keeping the price of corn and soy down means you're keeping the price of the raw materials for the processors down. That's what you're doing. You're not saving people money. You're saving the processors money and the, and the people who feed animals. I mean, you're keeping the price for the people who feed animals and the people who manufacture 
processed foods by keeping corn and soy low. And so we subsidize corn and soy, but we don't, we don't, I mean, it's interesting, we don't subsidize, let's say, free range eggs. I mean, we could subsidize free range eggs. We could subsidize free range chickens, free range hogs, all those things. We could do all that, but that's not what we do. And it's, it's, At my age, having seen as much as I've seen, 50 years, I've been teaching over 50 years. The first year, I'm not teaching since I began in 19, I don't remember, 60-something. And, and forgive me, at what age did you retire? Oh, I retired in my, probably in my early 70s, but I've still been teaching You've the whole time. I keep teaching this until, course. Until last and year. And the course is, and I, people are still asking me to teach it because, you know, I made it up. And so. I want to take it. <laughs> it's, you're too late. <laughs> you're really too late. I'm finally, too late. finally, finally. A lot of people have taken it. A lot of people, a lot of chefs came and sat in on it. There are a lot of people wanted to take it. And I, you know, I do think it's it's ridiculous to say, but, you know, when I began, when I first began teaching and I was making my students learn about agriculture, they thought I was crazy. Why on earth would you want to know anything about agriculture just because you're talking about food? <laughs> and unfortunately, I mean, and these are people interested in food, right? That's where we... And, Unfortunately, I don't think that's changed. I mean, that's what the, the, the meaning of that, that phrase, and we haven't even talked about it, but that the, 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 the what, what was that article you sent me? Uh, I can't even remember. Oh, the, uh, Michael Pollan's article. Yeah, yeah Michael Pollan's article. But about who, who's, who's the guy who, who did Gene Kahn. Gene Kahn, yeah. yeah. Who, t talking about that most people don't really care about all these fine details about organic and so forth, that it's, quote, just lunch. And it, and it isn't just lunch. Nothing is just lunch. The minute you confine it to just lunch, you're finished. Because if it's just lunch and we let everybody go on eating the way they're eating now, we're going to be dead in 50 years. We're, I mean, we're killing the planet. The organic agriculture and what they're now at the add-on called regenerative agriculture is is saying we have to fit in to the systems that nature has set up because nature's not changing her systems. Nature's going to go on doing what nature has been doing, and we just have to learn to fit ourselves in. And it turns out that agriculture has been one of the most destructive things that we've done to the planet in terms of plowing up all these places where the roots were holding the soil down and things like that. And that we, we, have, to, we have to reintegrate ourselves into the, into the natural world, which is what organic at its best does, real organic, real organic does, and what, and what, um, um, and what regenerative is trying to do, what, what, what is being called regenerative agriculture, and I think that the idea, the idea that um, we should fight for one or the other, uh, I think we should fight for organic because it has a definition and we can say this is the definition and we reject the idea that you can put hydroponics in and we reject the idea of CAFOs as organic, but other than that, organic has a definition and what, what you're allowed, it has a labeling definition, it has all those things that are useful because at least they keep the worst of this stuff out. Although I remember, was it Michael Pollan who told me that someone had called him up and asked what he thought of organic, I guess organic Pepsi, and he said, he was horrified, and they said, but don't you think it's a good idea to have all that acreage in the corn that will be made into the corn syrup? To, and that's, you know, that's the insidious argument, that you, you, you don't, 
you don't have to change everything. You can just change what suits you and yeah. still call it organic. It is an insidious argument because you go, well, yeah, it would be better if you're going to grow all that corn that it be grown without biocides. Yeah. Of course. But why grow all that corn? Right? But why grow all that corn? Right. Why drink Pepsi? Exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, it, 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 it is a real question. And, and I know that people get very uh, emotional around this. Are, are you a food Nazi? Are you telling me what to eat? You know, no, the food industry is telling you what to eat. <laughs> and you're listening. That's what I used to think would be the best way to, to, to get to teenagers, to say to them, you know, somebody's controlling what you eat. You, you're not, you don't have any control at all. You think you do, but you don't. I think it would be very, a, a very effective argument. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I want to keep going there, but I'd like to circle back for a moment because you said something about our understanding of what nutritious food is, is changing. And we used to just look at a list of vitamins and say, does it have these vitamins? Right, right, right. And, right. and then we kind of jumped into ultra processing, which, okay, that's a whole other horrible thing. But if, if we stayed with basic foodstuffs for a minute and potatoes and carrots, and try to understand, is there a reason that I should support this carrot instead of this carrot? Is there? Is there I think so. It's beginning, uh, not, that, not that a lot of, I one time was asked to give a talk about the <clears throat> comparative nutritional value of organic, and I, I couldn't even find any studies. Right. It was very, very little had ever been done because it's expensive to do that kind of research. The organic people aren't gonna do it, and the, Conventional people aren't going to do it. What are they going to do? Compare organic with theirs and find out that theirs is worse? I mean, they don't want to do that. Yeah. So they're not, there's not very much stuff out there. And a lot of what's out there is not true anyway. There is one study that was talked about all the hell over the place about somebody going to a grocery store and buying organic and non-organic and comparing them. Well, you don't know anything about that. Right. Anything you, that's not a controlled study at Bad all. Science. You you can't yeah. do that. So basically, we don't really we haven't really known. And I think the recognition that there's obviously more inorganic has come from this research about what's going on in the soil and how what's in the how what's in the soil affects what's in the food, and what's in the soil inorganic is very different and much much more life is in the soil in organic growing than in conventional growing, and that that makes a difference in what's in the plants. And, and, that, that, and that that difference is not expressed in vitamins. In other words, it, you may have equi equivalent amount of vitamins in the two foods, and then you'll say, so there's no difference. Well, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that you don't, you're not paying any attention to. Yeah. One of the things that's been suggested to me is, I don't know, the last I heard was that there were 40,000 secondary plant metabolites that we have identified and far more that we haven't identified. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that all of those uh, substances have some impact, but we don't know what, and we exactly. don't understand the relationship. Exactly. You, can't even, you can't even get, there are people who will now argue that you can't talk about this having something having more beta carotene is better because we have no we have no standard for what how much beta we don't know how much beta carotene you should have so what difference does it make if it's a different amount right, right. I mean we we have we have RDAs for a certain number of substances you know recommended dietary allowances but we don't have that for beta carotene or any of the carotenes and only why do we pick beta carotene there's all these carotenoids. There's all these substances in plants that who knows what they're doing, but they're doing something. Okay, so you have many years as, as a professor of nutrition, yes. and uh, you've just suggested that actually this is probably too complicated to come up with a definitive answer based on testing, on analysis. So... For the, the, the poor citizen who's saying, well, how do I make a good choice? How do they make a good choice of what is better food to eat? Let's just let's make it simple and say, 
um, a mom or a dad really wants to feed their kids well, and they see, we see that there are a large host of health issues that are coming in that didn't used to be there, and for young people too. Now, okay, we can say, well, don't give them ultra-processed foods. Don't give them, you know, Twinkies and, and Pepsi. Well, and, and another Googles. thing that we know for sure is that organic foods have less pesticides, have no pesticide residues. And pesticides. So, okay, so give them organic so that it, it does not have the pesticide load that, that conventional has. Do you think, I mean, back to Albert Howard and Eve Balfour, yes, they were absolutely saying we should stop using pesticides, but that was almost the outcome of what they were saying, which was that we need to, we need to cultivate and steward and protect a living soil so that the food has better nutrition and health outcomes. And they, they saw this really observing animals on the land and saying these animals are healthier. Right, right, right. And that we, dare I say it, we're not, uh, nutrition is a very small field. It has very little support, financial support, except from food industry. In other words, there's very little research money coming in. And they know what they want. They don't care what the soil would produce. They're not, they don't object to it. I mean, I suppose if you want to give them a good food, they could turn it into crap, you know. But they don't, they're not, they're not even remotely, there's some of this stuff about people who were told that if you, if you fed a plant nitrogen, then it would destroy the potential of the soil to produce its own nitrogen. That the nitrogen is normally in a, in a well-managed pasture or something, nitrogen is being produced anyway, and being used, utilized, and not being thrown off into the air and so forth. The food industry doesn't care. The food industry, so far as I can see, uh, they, they can make, you know, rice krispies and fortify them with nutrients and say it's nutritious, which is what they want. They want to be able to advertise to the mother Mom, this is a nutritious cereal, right? And they're allowed to call it nutritious if it has a certain number of vitamins and minerals in it. That's all. And you can put those in for cents. And you don't have to do all this crap in this field and pr protect the environment and so forth and so on. And what I'm saying is that we, we really are at a place in our, in our lives, in our, as, in, our, in our history as humans, of reaching a point where we can't continue to treat nature as if it's just a casual friend that's out there or enemy as we see it often. I mean, as, as conventional farming has really treated nature as an enemy. I mean, you have to battle weeds and you have to battle insects and it's like a, it's like a war, right? Yes. And, and the bigger, the bigger you get, the better. Get bigger, get out as our one of our Agriculture secretaries once said, it's, it's like we have not ever, apparently, I mean, as a culture, stopped to ask whether what we're doing is sustainable. Because it's not. I mean, we, we, don't, we, we aren't going to keep going this way. And that's where this whole regenerative agriculture movement has sort of taken, come in from the side and said, we want to keep. And I don't, I guess I don't really know whether it has any rules. What are the, what are the rules of the regenerative, of regen, what do you have to do to be regenerative? Not plow. I gather the big thing is not plowing. Well, I think it all depends on who you ask because sort of the entire um, agricultural industry has jumped into I know, I know. Re regenerative. And so I imagine that Syngenta's different answer would be different from Gabe Brown or Ray Archuleta's answer. And, and unfortunately, it, it, it has a similarity to organic in that there is um, uh, an actual redefinition going on by industry of something that had a different intention. And that different intention was to be mostly organic, 
They, they, they always used, you know. Um, I un my understanding was that they were. They said they were basically organic, but they did. They were better because they didn't plow, and that plowing disrupted the life of the soil. Yes, but they and don't so like to talk were, about herbicides, do they? What? They don't like to talk about herbicides, do they? Because no. that's how they get around plowing: is they spray herbicides. And uh, you know, there are there are examples. I'm going to be interviewing Brian O'Hara later today. He's an excellent organic farmer who does no-till on about four acres of vegetables, and he's a real pioneer, and he's not using any herbicides. But that is unusual. In, in regenerative, typically they're Midwestern farmers, and they, they're growing large, large acreage. Oh, yeah. Well, you could do it on small acreage. Which, I mean, on a large acreage, it would be much more difficult. Yeah. And if you are pulling it off, and, and, you know, essentially, not essentially, they are organic farmers. They just don't use the term. But uh, generally speaking, I don't think that's the case. I think they're using herbicides and they're usually using some chemical fertilizers. And uh, I don't know so much pesticides, but, but, and again, they, they, there is no they yeah, there. Yeah, there is no they there. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so uh, you, you, so you served on the National Organic Standards Board. You've been deep into this push and pull in organic between an industry that wants organic to serve its own needs and a movement that has a very different idea of organic. Well, when, when the first organic board was set up, it was very few industry people. And it became increasingly increasingly industrialized in my view. I mean, when Fred and I were fighting to prove that the law said you couldn't use additives. In processing. In processing. Uh, we lost. You lost the vote in the National Organic Standards Board. This was you and Fred Kirshen then? Yeah. And, and so... I don't remember who else was on it and who voted with us and who didn't. We lost by one vote, so other people voted with us. Yeah. But we couldn't, we couldn't carry it. And we, we you know, I, I don't... I don't know if you've read the Federal Register, but you don't read the Federal Register. You study the Federal Register and to interpret what it's saying from where it goes from 1A to 4C and to figure out what, what, what the heading is on the part that you're reading is really a, a, a tough job. So I had typed it all out and sort of figured out what went with what and what, and I was absolutely dead right that the law said, they were saying the law said, didn't say that. It didn't say you couldn't use any. And I said it does, and so I proved that. And then, of course, we, we were voted down. How, how much later, how much after that um, did Arthur Harvey sue Not the long. government? Not long, a couple of years maybe, it seems to me. I don't, I don't remember now. I'm too yeah. old to remember. I, I need to go up and, and interview Arthur. Arthur yeah, you and do. Ask him about that. So he actually, on appeal, won that case. Yes, he did. He won that. He won the fact that you couldn't use additives. In, in, and then they immediately went into Congress and got the law changed. And they, being the industry, went in and and said, "We got to change this law." I, I, actually, it was rather sleazy how they did it. It wasn't. It wasn't an open debate. They they snuck in what they call a midnight rider. And, and attach it to a much larger bill. And it was just this little little thing. And it, it happened when everyone's back was turned. Uh, and it, 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 changed, it changed that forever. Without that, if, if Arthur Harvey's decision had stood, then I think that what you've been saying about ultra-processed food, we just simply wouldn't see any that, that was called organic. I think that's true. I don't think they could put. I don't think they could put together some of the stuff they put together, and called organic. Well, even even my the piece I wrote about could you could an organic Twinkie be certified? I listed the the contents of a Twinkie, which was pretty formidable, and I don't know whether they could have managed to get all those all those additives in. But you, I think you were allowed to have two percent. Is that right? Two percent of things that were not organic 
but that were on the the national list. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and a, a, a literal organic Twinkie even now might be hard for them to get certified. It's I don't know. <laughs> it's hard I to mean, say. given I don't know to what extent the problem is with who certified, who the certifiers are. Yeah. Because they seem to have very different. I don't think all the certifiers are on the same page at all. No, no, indeed. And just around hydroponics, there's a deep divide. And of course, the ones who aren't certifying hydroponics, they're the ones who are afraid. It's not, it's not the scoundrels who no, are afraid. No, right, 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 right. Because they're not going <laughs> to, nobody's going to come to them for certification anymore, right? It, it would, no, they're afraid of the USDA coming down on them. For, oh, because they're refusing to serve. They're refusing to serve. They serve. really think the USDA would. USDA already has started that. Really. They issued a non-compliance <laughs> to uh, Sam Welsh's group one cert because they didn't say we don't have the capacity. They said we won't certify hydroponic because we think it's illegal, and and so the USDA slapped them and gave them a non-compliance, and then they put it on hold. They said, well. We'll wait because there's a court case pending, because Sam and I and others were suing them, and uh, we just lost the appeal on that. So uh, right, now, tell me, the, the appeal was to say that the these people should continue to be certifiers. What we we sued saying hydroponic cert, certification of hydroponics was illegal based oh, okay. on the language of the Organic Food Production Act, and which I think it is. I think it's yeah, illegal. Yeah, yeah. And, well, that's um, easy. I mean, practically the first word is soil. Over and over. <laughs> I mean, over and that's over. That's practically the first word in the act. That's right. And, and amazingly, um, a, a, a judge decided against our suit. And then a panel of judges. It's interesting, Joan. They, they, uh, it was a non, what they call it, an unpublished opinion meaning they didn't believe in it enough to use it as, set it as precedent. They knew it was squirrely, but they were really reluctant to go against the USDA and the lower the court. The judges. The judges. So they knew it was squirrely. They were like, this is not a slam dunk. We do not want our decision to be a precedent because we don't think it's there, but we're, we're not going to um, rule that the USDA must prohibit hydroponics to be served. Well, you know, this is, this is really, should have been part of our earlier discussion because I think what's interesting is to think about, if you ask someone, do you really believe that a plant that's grown in water with added nutrients is the, has the same nutritional value, the same nutritional value, health value, as a plant grown in well-managed soil. Do you really believe that, that, that they, their, their nutritional value is equivalent? And then do you believe the nutritional value is equivalent, a soil that you can kind of run your hands through and that's got worms and all sorts of is equivalent to, to, let's say, in Florida where they're growing like in sand, with new, which is practically hydroponically. Do you think they have the same nutrients? Why would they? Why would you imagine that they would? You know, that, that's the question. What is the level of simplicity of our thinking that we, that we think that, that they'd be the same? I, I have never met a soil scientist who believed they were the same. No, and, and I've talked to people who have talked to me about buying grapes or something that were hydroponic. That they knew, I don't know how they even knew they were hydroponic because they don't you get labeled. And they said they had no taste. I mean, they really don't, they really don't taste the same. So you have to have been adapted to the tasteless winter fruit to, yeah. to even accept them. Well, I think what's happening is that it's the only choice on the shelf now. It's, it's, uh, you can not eat the hydroponic fruit, but, but, if you're wanting an organic tomatoes, certified organic, that often is the only choice that you have now. 
that's why I say I think we actually have less choices, even though there are so many brands and so many 60,000 whatever, and yet try and get a tomato grown in the soil. And uh, it can be, or try and get it. See, I don't even know that because I grow my own soil yeah. as you do. So, yeah. you know. I know. I'm, we're all spoiled. Yeah, we're spoiled. <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me go back just for a minute. Um, you know, that was such an interesting conversation that, that uh, Michael Pollan put out about the, the transformation of the organic brand because of the industry pressure and that conversation that he had with Gene Kahn. And Gene Kahn's uh, comment that really was kind of burned in my mind was, organic is not your mother. And I think that, you know, this is the conversation we're having. No, but nature is. <laughs> but nature is. <laughs> yes. And I think organic is trying to listen to, to nature. You know, that's, yeah. that's the point. And clearly our farming system is not. Clearly the way we produce most things is not listening to nature. It's saying, oh, well, nature doesn't know what she's doing. We, we have this much better way. We can get much higher yields. Um, yeah, with this other way. And I mean, I can remember after the war, I was going with someone in New York who had a, whose family had a farm in the Midwest. And he told me about what they were now doing, which was injecting ammonia into the soil. They had this thing that injected ammonia because it was fast nitrogen. I kept thinking, that's horrible. Ammonia is this destructive, I mean, this very destructive compound, and you're injecting it into the soil. And of course, you had to be very careful as a farmer because you could kill yourself, right? If you didn't handle the ammonia tank right. So our whole thrust as a society has always been, well, I, I'm very, I'm so deeply aware of that right at the moment. I was just reading Robert Reich this morning one of his, he, he, he's more prolific online than anybody I know, and he writes these columns. And he, and he was writing about why is it that ever since 1980, this trend of, as, as the economy went up, so did everybody. And then all of a sudden it started with the lower class went down and the upper class went up. And, and it's just divided to this ridiculous point now. And, and he says, and I realized reading it that to, to be just, you know, there's something wrong with capitalism when it just is allowed to, to run. I mean, it can be made to be the most destructive. I mean, they just rewrote the rules so that they weren't paying as much taxes, that they could do various things as corporations. And, the, and they just fan, managed to find a way to, to make all the money move up. And we now have people like Elon Musk paying $4 billion, is that what's that? $4 billion for, for uh, what, 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 uh, the company he, he just bought. It was Twitter, I believe. Yeah, right. right. Yes. And, and, and we, nobody should have that kind of money. There's no reason why anybody needs that kind of money. That sort of wealth that, that having, having destroyed this society by making everybody, putting everyone in touch with everyone else anonymously and therefore encouraging hate and all kinds of stuff. They should be, they should be in prison, not just making more and more money off their money, but it, the, but the world is set up now so that they just have to sit there and their money just accumulates money because they don't, they don't spend any money to buy anything, they borrow money to buy things, and they, therefore they never have anything that anyone can tax. It's amazing the way the system is working now. And it can't go on. I mean, it, it seems to me, if I were younger, I feel like I would be in the streets now. Uh, I mean, ever since Occupy Wall Street came up and fizzled, uh, there's, there's this idea that you just can't do it. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, that we're just, we're just stuck with this, this system, which has produced a totally, totally dysfunctional food system. And we're just stuck with it because every time there's a conference, like we just had this White House conference, we just are having other conferences about the food supply, and you know who's in there talking. The minute I look at who's coming or who's invited, 
Of course, it's all the big corporations. And you think I can go and make a difference? I'm going to go to that conference and talk and talk about Sagenta, you know, and how I don't think Sagenta should be doing this. Do you know how many people, I mean, I have done that. I have been on those committees. I have in the past sat on a committee. I can remember that. I was on a committee. The FTC was going to regulate food advertising. And I was appointed to the committee and there were corporate people appointed to the committee. And we sat around a table and the corporate people had like this whole company behind them, sitting in chairs behind them. I was by myself. And when the time came to say, well, let's pull together this information, they all appointed me to pull it all together. You know, I had nobody to do it for me except me, right? And it was like amazing. It was amazing. We were apparently equal. You know, we had three of me and two of them or whatever, I don't remember. But I remember sitting around there and saying, this is ridiculous. You know, there's no way I can make enough noise. And I actually managed to write something. They assigned me to write something. You know what they were doing. And I'm pretty good at that because I work for Time Magazine and I know how to put a check over every word that's technically accurate, even though it manages to say what Time Magazine wants it to say. So I know how to do it. And so I wrote this thing about how we should, what we should do about food advertising. And they all, they all just left the committee. They just left. They just left. So we never finished our, our work because they decided to withdraw. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I'm not, I'm not at all, I, I'm awed by what Real Organic has managed to do. I really am. You must be too. How you have really made a noise in a, in a place that was dedicated to silence. You know, you have really stood up and other people told you not to do it, not to oppose organic, that you would cut down the value of organic. After all, organic had a definition. I mean, I know all that stuff. I don't know all of it, would you? But I'm sure you've heard some pretty strong language from people. Yes, we have. <laughs> and I'm very impressed by where you've got to. I mean, by... I mean, my local farmer's market that comes here on Sunday, there's a guy there who has real, a real organic thing up. And the first time I went over, I said, you know, and he knew what it was. And so he won't let me pay for my eggs anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he thinks it's so great. You know, he's so impressed by it. And I'm impressed by it, too. I think it's amazing what you've managed to do. Thank you, Joan. That's... uh extremely, uh, I don't know what to say. It, it makes me feel held to, to know that you and, and many others feel that way. That I mean, we're all doing this together. It's, it's not I'm doing it. It's like we are doing it, but it, it's great. You know, I remember driving across the Tappan Zee Bridge a year ago. I was bringing you back from a wild, wild carousal over at, oh, at, yeah, right, at, right. at Blue Hill. And you asked me a question. You said, well, are you optimistic? So let me ask you that question. Mm. That's a tough one, Dave. That's a tough one. I'm, um, I'm in this very strange stage of life. I mean, I'm 94, so I know I'm not going to be another 10 years. So I, I'm just saying, when you're my age, you have to adjust to the fact that you actually can't, you can't say to yourself, well, I'm going to, tomorrow I'm going to start that exercise program or I'm going to do that. You know, you're not going to make big changes in your life. You're just not. So for me to say, am I optimistic about whether or not, I think you mean, am I optimistic, not am I optimistic about real organic, but am I optimistic about the food supply, the methods in the food system changing, the way we grow our food changing, whether it's called organic or regenerative, or whether it just means ripping up that acre of corn and letting the cattle graze on pasture, and stopping telling lies about how cattle on pasture are so destructive because that's ridiculous, you know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, 
I'm an optimistic person. I generally figure things are going to get better. Um, I'm not optimistic about the election. It feels scary what's happening in this country. It feels like we've really lost track of where we are um, and where we need to be. And the, the lies have outdistanced truths. So it's hard to be generally optimistic right at this particular political moment in the United States, for me at least. Maybe the people who are on the other side are optimistic. Um, I don't think we're gonna, I don't think things, I don't think people are gonna pay attention to something that feels to them at the moment as trivial as how their food is grown very soon. I think they're, 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 I mean, just the way when we got inflation, the climate stopped being important. Suddenly, it's not. It's like the fourth thing now. It was the it got to the one, got to number one very briefly, and then inflation and gas prices. Well, I'm not going to vote for Biden on gas prices. Anybody who thinks that way, and people think that way. I mean, they're not thinking long term. So I don't think it's going to happen soon. And people are increasingly. There's no question that more more people during the during the uh, pandemic more people gardened so maybe more people got in touch with the soil a bit, but I'm sure they went to the store and bought all kinds of fertilizer and stuff and I don't think they were thinking very uh, I don't think they were thinking of nature I think they were thinking of their own lives and where they were going to sit and what they were going to look at when they sat. But I don't think the, the lack, I have for many, many, many years, not 50, but close to it, uh, been worried about the degree to which, well, I mean, my course in a sense is about the degree to which people are detached from reality in, in the natural world. They just, they're just, they're not aware of what's going on at all. It's like, I think I, maybe I said this earlier, but I once had a student in my class who could not understand why. My students, I found out, for there was a period of time when my students thought I was crazy, that I was making them pay attention to agriculture. I don't know anything about agriculture, they'd say. I know, that's why I'm trying to teach you something about agriculture. They do not get how nature works. And if they don't get how nature works, then why should they change? I mean, what would make them change? Um, we, are, we, aren't, we aren't saying that organic is more nutritious. I mean, we're not really in a position to... I don't think legally can organic advertise itself as more nutritious. I don't even know. I don't know. Um... I don't think so. Because when it was first introduced, when the rail was first introduced, remember he said this is just a marketing yeah. term? Right. It has nothing to do with quality. Right. Right. The Secretary of Agriculture. Yes. Yeah. He says, we're not saying it's <laughs> in right. any way better than conventional. Right, right. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. What he was, what, what the USDA was tasked with was, was, at, to guarantee the integrity and the transparency of the label, not the superiority. Right, that it was saying the correct thing. Yeah, was, what it was saying was true. they were telling the truth, and, and they have failed at that. So they failed at the one, one mission that they actually accepted. Um, and, you know, uh, we, we hope that someday there will be a USDA that will do better, but in the meantime, we'll have to do it ourselves. Do you, let me ask you, because I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not keeping up with this much anymore, particularly this year since I'm not teaching. Um, do you think that we'll get a secretary, do you think we're moving in a positive direction in any way? <laughs> yes, in one way for sure. Um, it's so confusing because you see places where it's getting better and then you see places that's getting much worse. And I asked Michael Pollan this in, in one of my interviews with him. 
he, he gave an answer that I thought was just spot on. He said, well, the movement, our understanding, our curiosity, our, our knowledge of food and farming and the food system is, is taking off. He said the actual food system is getting much worse. It's, but, it's being but more does centralized. Does he think more people, does he really think that more people, when he says taking the movement is taking off, does he think considerably more people, a larger proportion of the population, is involved and interested in the food system? Well, the example he gave was a student of his at Harvard. And um, he said, you know, she is on fire on this subject. Fifteen years ago, nobody was on fire at Harvard about agriculture and organic farming and regenerative. And, and I actually got to know that young woman and she was, she was spectacular, she's great. And, but he was right that, yes, she's an outlier, but she's not alone out there. That, you know, there, there is a, a growing interest in this. There are now national conversations about soil health. And uh, I think, to quote David Bronner, when I was discouraged, and he said to me, you know, Dave, you have to remember this is generational, right? It's, we're not going to fix it, or, or to quote Wes Jackson, you know, uh, it, 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 it doesn't behoove us to take on problems that are um, so small that we can solve them in one lifetime. And, and so I, I think that's right, that, that if we see this as, we don't know if we have time to, to take that long to solve it, but, uh, but I think that we, we have to see that this is uh, a transformation, it would be a cultural transformation, and unfortunately, or I don't know if it's unfortunate, it's not one that there's a big uh, profit motive in. And so... Quite it, the opposite. It's quite the opposite. So it's <laughs> going to be a, a, a slog to go up a hill because there will be people pushing us down who are making a profit. And it's just going to be a different, it has to be a social movement. It can't just be a business plan. But see, I think about, I, th I think about this, what, the 70s, I think it was, when we had that big, we had the big LR scare and, the, and everybody turned to organic food and so forth. We've had these, we've had these movements before. We had, a, we, I mean, that's when I first started studying nutrition in the, what, in the 70s, 60s? No, the 60s, I guess. 69, 68. That there was all this health food stores and all these young people eating all this stuff and all this enthusiasm for that kind of thing. There was a health food store nearby here that we don't have that anymore, the kind that we had before, sort of with, with the bags of grain and that sort of stuff, that sort of, sort of hippie movement that started in Berkeley. There was a lot of it, but... That, was, that seemed like a young people's movement that was pushing in that direction. I mean, I've been around a long time is my problem. And, you know, I, I went to college during the McCarthy era. And let me tell you, that was a very, very, very sobering time. I mean, it makes me, it's the only thing that makes me not too depressed about the time we're in now, that I remember when I was in college, we had our own un-American Activities Committee in California, where I was in college. And there were all the, the Hollywood 10 who had no jobs because they had come up before the committee and been done, not, not confessed or whatever it was. Anyway, I remember when I was in college, I didn't join anything because you didn't dare join anything because it could turn up on the attorney general's list. And that was a very, very scary time and only ended when we had that amazing lawyer <laughs> yes. finishing off McCarthy in, in one sentence. Yeah. Uh, but, but it was a very, it was a very, it was not a time when you would take on a challenge. And the trouble I see right now is that you have, you're having now these election officers who are quitting because they don't want to be, everybody's, attacking them. And so I, I don't see, it's, I guess it seems to me that for people to understand organic as it should be understood as a, as a way of trying to, as a way of trying to grow 
that is completely um, harmonious with nature. That is the working toward that. No, you never reach it personally because nature doesn't have any kind of plow. She doesn't even have little tines. She doesn't do that. So we can't achieve it perfectly. But to get to get there, you have to have a population scared enough about where they've been or are to really, really search for truth. And we're not, we're not in a search for truth at this moment at all in this country. Well, one mind at a time. And, and Joan, you, you have changed a lot of minds in your time. So that's, that gives me hope to see that there are people out there doing amazing things. We have to end. I want to thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank for you. Me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. We, I'm not sure we stayed on topic, Dave. It's my fault. It was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to the Real Organic Podcast. Our movement is growing because you're subscribing and sharing these podcasts with your friends. Keep it up and leave us a rating and a review as well. You can find a video version of this interview at our newly designed website, realorganicproject.org, or on our YouTube channel. Join us next week when our guest will be celebrated chef and author, Dan Barber. He's working towards an America that adopts a hyper-local food culture that will nourish our soils, our ecosystems, and our bodies. In the meantime, be on the lookout for some Friday bonus episodes featuring short talks from speakers at our recent in-person event held at Churchtown Dairy in Hudson, New York.